headed down and played in. Oh, Vancouver has their equalizer. It looked like it was going to be Nashville's night, but the Whitecaps are riding their wave of momentum. 87th minute. We're even in Music City. Nashville once again demonized by a set piece. Disappointment at Geodas Park. Nashville dominated Vancouver in the early going, but conceded an equalizer and dropped points in the first match of a busy week. Thanks to iHeartRadio for that call, even though I was disappointed to be the one making that call in that exact moment as Nashville SC drops a couple of points that most will feel it should have earned against the Vancouver Whitecaps. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. And I'm Nashville SC radio voice, Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of clubcountryusa.com. A lot of great performances in this club's history. A lot of great things to point to, but uh, no other way to frame this particular match than to say it's a big disappointment. One of the bigger letdowns of the season, I think, for a team that has now won just three times in ten at home. Tim, they, they played really well at the outset against Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I think it was six corner kicks in the first, like, seven minutes. Uh, no, sorry, six in the first 24 minutes, five in the first seven minutes. They were three minutes away from giving themselves a really big boost. And we said last week, you know, some of the concern about this club was maybe a little bit overblown. And if they had another stinker against Vancouver, it would be time to say, okay, this is this is no longer small sample size zone, although it is. But 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 this, <laughs> the sample size say. is big enough um, that that this team is just playing too poorly. Um, you know, coming back from from much better outings against LAFC and Cincinnati, and then kind of getting back to what where they had been the previous three weeks, it's just not what they were looking for as they try to push for a playoff position. And it's almost probably more frustrating to see it happen this way than to lose 2-0 to this Vancouver team. Mm-hmm. You know, it just never played well. <laughs> and I say that, I mean, obviously that would be, there'd be alarm bells big time. But to play so well, to see what this mm-hmm. team can be, especially in the first 45 minutes of that match, they took nine of the first 10 shots against Vancouver. And the Vancouver started creeping back in it. And all of a sudden, creeping became running. And when that set piece, uh, when the foul happened, you just kind of thought, oh, no, oh, no. Could, mm-hmm. could this be it again? And it was. And the Gold Nuggets will break down the letdown. We'll examine Nashville's home form so far this year. Plus, we'll get into a statement by Gary Smith that I think surprised many of our listeners. It was an answer, actually, to a question, Tim, that you asked. We're going to play that and then talk about our takes on that. In the mailbag, we'll examine Nashville's second-half tactics against Vancouver. Uh, some criticism on that front from uh, many of you on Twitter in the mailbag. And then what can be done to boost this team in the final third of the season? Why is it that Nashville's dropping points from winning positions? Uh, but first, Club and Country sponsored by ML Rose. And we had the pleasure of meeting up finally after a match and hanging out with some good folks at ML Rose. It was a great time, uh, even if the match itself did not leave a great taste in our mouths. The ML Rose food did. Yeah, Wes, you're really bearing the lead here that you picked up the tab at the end, too. So that was very kind of you to, to take of care course. of that on, on Saturday evening. Only because was... I forgot my gift card that I've been carrying around forever. <laughs> so I felt guilty. So I went ahead. Yeah, but it's it, it's great to to get out there and, and see after a game. First time we've been there together after a game mm-hmm. and see people kind of the uh, the, the sad, the sad uh, imbibing that we have talked about a little too much in recent weeks. You know, having a couple beers, kind of talking about what happened at the game and what went wrong what went right and and you know having the camaraderie of of fandom and um getting to meet with some some regular listeners a regular mailbag question asker as well so that was something that 
It was really nice to get a chance to do on Saturday night. Great to see Chris and Brittany. Great to see Logan and Kate. And uh, great to see a lot of gold. It was all gold everywhere, to quote the rap song, whose uh, artist I forget now. It was it was packed with, with post-game drinkers and eaters who might have had an extra beer to, uh, to help <laughs> uh, drown the disappointment just a little bit. But really good time. And uh, more on MROs in a little bit, because uh, it's actually not the first time this week that I had been there. And I have some other commentary about another <laughs> location that was also really good. But, but we're here to talk mostly about the 8th Avenue location, and now mostly about soccer uh, when you think about club and country when you think about nashville sc though think about ml rose a great pre and in this case post game spot yeah and i want to i want to really quickly give a, a non-sponsored shout out to apple who confirmed that it's under 15 minutes to walk from the press <laughs> box at geotis park to ml rose on 8 south you guys tim walks in he doesn't say a word to me he holds out his apple watch and points to the timer <laughs> and you said you even stopped along the way for a second to chat yeah. so like it was yeah under 15 minutes Final vindication. I no proof. You might have run there. You probably sprinted for part of that. I'm just kidding. It's not a bad walk. It's not a bad walk. It is great. And a lot of people, by the way, parking and walking there and back. Honey far side now. Honey cross. Spins to Bunbury. It's a spark on Nashville's home pitch. And Teal Bunbury's golden core is shining through. Two goals in two matches. 17th minute, one nil, Nashville. The happy moment of the draw, courtesy of iHeartRadio. Tim, before we get to some bleaker notes, I suppose, mm-hmm. Teal Bunbury really seems to be hitting his stride now, two goals in as many matches. Yeah, this is a thing that we pushed back on a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. as well, that people were kind of really down on Teal Bunbury because he had two very bad moments in the loss to Real Salt Lake. There's no taking those moments away. But then he was hurt for, um, I think he, he said like, 18 weeks i want to say that can't possibly be right he says he said some number of weeks after 15 the game, I I was not the number he cited yeah. in the presser yeah yeah so people kind of forgot that this is a guy who has you know a, a 12-year career of being a highly successful mls player and, and fortunately he's really kind of coming around and, and showing that in these last two weeks and yes there's there's nothing I, I i don't know that you can say oh this is a guy who's a pure striker because he's standing on the goal line one time or he gets his head on the end of a header but that's what you want out of a guy in that position, a guy who knows where to be, right place, right time, and then the technique to get it done. Especially in a unique formation, kind of weighted toward that that right mm-hmm. side of the pitch, teaming up with Shaq Moore, who, of course, we'll talk about um, here in just a little bit. It was an effective combination for a guy that's used to playing at the top of the formation, but kind of had a little rotation as Nashville went with a pretty attack-heavy lineup. And, yeah, I, I liked what he brought. Again, it's easy to say that when they score, but led the team in shooting the last match, and this one had a couple of nice chances on goal, including the one he finished. Uh, we'll get into our gold nuggets and our into our gold nuggets now, though, and talk about the home form for this team. I think that's the that's the lead here. And you know, we come on the show and we are optimistic realists. We're, we're gonna you know be sometimes the context providers when things are not as bad as they seem. But I think everyone is certainly within their rights to be frustrated and ask that question. Three wins in ten league matches now at home. It's one point four points per match. Twelfth in the West on points per match at home. What is it? We've asked this before, but I'll ask it again now. We have a little more of a sample size. What's going wrong on the home pitch? Big part of it, I think Gary Smith might have mentioned it in the press, or he might have mentioned it um, before the lights went on, is that teams are excited to to come to Geodis Park and play, and so they kind of get their best game going. And then um, I think a less significant factor, but one that has been cited by players is, um, I, I I don't want to put a name to it because I can't recall correctly 
or per, specifically, but I think it was Andre Blake after that opening game that yeah, it was really loud when they scored, but otherwise it was just kind of there. And I don't, I don't think that that's fair to the Nashville SC fan base, but it is something that on a, on a minute to minute basis, teams don't seem to be as intimidated as of Nashville SC as they had been the previous year and a half. And for whatever reason, that doesn't seem to strike Nashville on the road. And, um, you know, I, Again, small sample size. There's no way to determine exactly what it is that is causing that split, but it's definitely something where you look at one of the best road teams in this league, and then they happen to be one of the worst road teams or home it, teams as well. It's like that idea, right? And we've heard this discussed, and we talked about it in a little bit of this this team almost kind of needing that chip on its shoulder, needing to play against somebody. And um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the home fans, I will say this, those who are listening to this show are probably not the issue with that that home atmosphere. Right. They're, they are the ones who are active, who are trying to make this a, a great place to play. But you've got so many folks who love going to a cool venue and having a nice night out on the town and having a couple of good beers. And they treat it as entertainment and not as, as being part of the show. And, and we talked about that last week. There may be some churn rate and some folks coming in who are more mm-hmm. active in the future. Um and our listeners are going up, so maybe that's yeah, that's all that's all coming together. <laughs> uh, just a little bit of, of historical context to compare this year to last. Last year, NSC outscored opponents by about one goal per match at Nissan Stadium. It was eighteen goals over those seventeen matches total, uh, I believe. Uh, this year, the goal differential just two goals total in those ten. Uh, defense has been comparably strong when you look at it. I know it doesn't feel that way late in matches, but but overall, pretty decent defensive performances. Uh, not a lot of goals conceded, but the issue has been the attack. Just 1.3 goals per match at home, Tim, compared to 2.1 last year. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll ask you to wait to these factors because all these come into play. But is it more tactical decisions, especially in the second half? Is it quality of competition who has come in to date? There's been some good teams coming in. Or is it just luck? Yeah, and it's it's all of the above, obviously. I would say now that Vancouver is in the rearview mirror, it's it's probably no longer strength of competition. I haven't yeah. uh, gone back and double-checked yet, but um, when you lose to Sporting Kansas City at home, when you draw Vancouver Whitecaps at home, you you can no longer say, oh, well, the other teams are just too good because those are two teams that aren't very good, and that's the reality of the situation. I would say luck, luck is definitely a part of it because when you look at what Nashville has been able to do in terms of creation, it has been pretty strong. Mm-hmm. They are a team that's that's significantly underperforming their expected goals, and I don't think we need to have this rant weekly that it, that a lot of that is just luck, and some of it is just guys who have a history of being pretty good finishers, not getting the job done. And um, you know, again, projecting forward, the creation is important. Looking backwards, it because you created more expected goals, it doesn't mean that you get the win that you that you feel like you deserved. It's a it, the finishing is a, a matter of what the result ends up being, even if it, it feels like an undeserved result. So I think that's a big part of it too. And then the tactical piece is tough. And, and we'll talk about this with essentially every mailbag question, mm-hmm. but it does seem like the killer instinct hasn't necessarily um, changed in nature, but the ability to execute on that killer instinct, Nashville, when they have a lead wants to sit back and hit on the counter and teams just don't seem to be as susceptible to the the second part of that. They're they're saying, okay, Nashville, sit back, but we're not going to let you hit on the counter either. And that's really been difficult for this team to kind of rack up that second, third goal to put games away. And then the corollary to that, of course, is the most frustrating thing, which is those drop points after going ahead when Nashville's you know unable to to get that second goal, sustain the attack like they maybe did a little bit more last year. Um, some stats for you about about dropping points this season now it's 14 points dropped after the boys and gold had taken the lead or drawn level so not talking about scoreless draws here but when mm-hmm. they've scored to equalize then later conceding um, seven of those drop points have come at home vancouver 
Portland LAFC when they drew level, and then of course you ended up losing, and and Atlanta. Um, if you hold on to those home leads or draws, and, and look, I don't think any of us expects that to happen every single time. Teams are good; they will equalize. But just for the sake of argument, if, if Nashville had earned all seven of those points they dropped, they're at thirty nine points. They're five points back of Austin for second in the table. Um, Scott McAnally asks us to compare drop points from winning positions this year to last. And Nashville's already passed that figure this year from last. So this year, 12 points dropped from winning positions. That's six different occurrences last year. Five occurrences, 11 points. And that was something, especially, Tim, in the second half of the season, that was a criticism of this team. And it's something that has just kind of continued here in this stretch, especially at home this year. Yeah, and uh, shout out to you for being the first person I've ever heard uh, call Scotty Scott, other than his wife, Liz. Shout out to the McAnally's. But, but yeah, it, it is a situation where I think there's something that I didn't, that I haven't really considered, and we will, again, consider it in the mailbag as well. But it doesn't seem like there's the same amount of quality depth this year, and that could be part of it as well. Mm-hmm. When this team makes subs, because they need to make subs, Shaq Moore, um, you know, from the from the fitness side of, of this club, not the not the tactical side of the club was a 60 minute player on Saturday night. He had to be subbed out. The problem is, in the past, you're you know taking out Alistair Johnson and putting in Alex Mwil. On Saturday night, Johnson's been traded. Mwil is suspended. Eric Miller's your only option there. And while we have defended Eric Miller pretty regularly on this on this space, I think that there's there is something to be said for. Um, you know, a, a larger scale of drop off there. And it's something that Nashville has had to deal with at other positions as well. And some of that is, is injury. Um, Anibal Godoy's continued absence as he will also be absent for the midweek game against Portland. All, all of those sorts of things that have really harmed this club. And Wallabuana has been out for most of the year as well. A guy that Nashville would put on to be kind of a, a pressure outlet late in games at times last year. There just isn't the same sort of depth that we're used to, and some of it is is going to get better as guys get healthy, and some of it is just the reality of who is on this team this year. They've they've played fewer players than than they did last year as well, so there's something to be said for just maybe Gary Smith's less belief in the depth too. I, I think you can't deny that's a that's absolutely a factor there, especially as Nashville has has struggled to find that go to second striker for much of the year. Maybe Teal Bunbury becomes that answer, but a striker off the bench certainly. Eddie and I were saying at halftime as we're looking at the sub list of available guys without Lovitz, without Mule, without Godoy, Nashville needs a second goal in the first 15 minutes of the second half. And mm-hmm. when they couldn't find it, then uh, then I think you know, the question marks began to begin to grow, uh, grow again for this team. And so it all led to an interesting uh, statement from Gary Smith after the match in response to a question, Tim, that that you asked about how this team needs to improve and and maybe steal its identity a little bit more, S-T-E-E-L, uh, its identity a little bit more in the in the waning moments of the season. And uh, here's what Gary Smith said in response. It's about being able to, to really revert back to type and look back at some of the, the very exciting and um, bright and purposeful periods that we've had as a group. At the moment, we're falling foul of, you know, a fortunate goal last week that bounces over the back four and we lose the game, we draw the game. Um, Today, final moments, no penalty. Should score. Luke should score. Hanny might be able to score. Eric should be able to score. Somebody falls it over the line. And it wouldn't have been a vintage display by any way, shape or form. I think you're coming away from the game then in a slightly different mindset. There is so much to fight for here. We've got so many games that we can look forward to. 
but they're not going to be easy. Nobody's going to give us points. But we've got to make sure that we don't give any to anyone else. And it'll be a real challenge in this Western Conference, given what we've got to deal with, to be above that line. In fact, I go as far to say that if we're above the line at the end of this season, it will be the biggest achievement of this group since I've been here. So, Tim, there's a lot to unpack here as he starts by, you know, talking about the fact that this team has had a lot of adversity that it's faced and, and that is a challenge in maintaining that identity. But the, the line, of course, that people really seized on afterward in conversation was that getting above the playoff line and finishing there this year would be the biggest achievement since they've been in MLS. Um, Trevor asks it well, I think. He says, help me make sense of Gary's making the playoffs will be our greatest accomplishment, quote. He says, I'm not sure how that's an acceptable stance for a team that has gone uh, to PKs three times for a place in the cup semifinal. Gary Smith is a guy who more often than not in a press conference is just going to give you a straight up honest answer. He's not a guy that does a lot of uh, maybe, you know, kind of off brand messaging. Mm -hmm. But when he does a little bit of messaging, I think it's very clear what it is. And I think he's either sending a message to his players saying, hey, you guys have got to step it up. You know, we've been in positions and, and you know, I can only put, put you guys in those positions we need to execute. And I think he's also sending a message to um, you know, whether that's whether that's the league or whether that's his his management saying, look, this is what we have available to us this year. I just mentioned it, um, you know, before before we got into this question and this team just doesn't have the same sort of depth that it did last year. And I think Gary is kind of saying, look, there's only so much I can do when I when I have to take Shaq more out of the game and, and I have the available players that I have. Um, went with a short bench with with uh, I believe even with two goalkeepers, but still a yes. short bench on mm -hmm. Saturday night, if I recall correctly. So that's a situation where there just aren't the horses in the barn this year, and that's something that I think he wants to kind of point that out. Maybe it's a little bit of uh, a little bit of self defense ahead of time if the fans start uh, bringing out the pitchforks towards the end of the year. But at the same time, I think it's saying, hey, look, management, we've got to do a little bit more here. We brought in Shaq, but but there, there's there's still more work to be done on this roster and. You know, a couple of days left in the transfer window. I don't expect any of that to be, to be done, but it is definitely something where he's saying, look, we can't be put in this situation in the future. So no Luis Suarez is what you're saying to Nashville. No, no. Uh, just kidding. Uh, so I, I think okay, I can't even remember who's the in play, the in play joke. I don't even remember. There, there was a good one last off season. Somebody's still in play. We'll just say Messi. Messi's still in play. Messi's well, <laughs> technically, I guess. Uh, I think, first of all, I, I disagree with the positions Gary, that Gary's taking here that, that, that would be the biggest achievement, and I'm complimenting the club by saying that. I mean, this is a club that has done so much that we could tick yeah, off I if mean, we the, wanted to. Yeah, I think the greatest achievement is, is something, right? But, but, the, <laughs> but greatest different. achievement yeah. above yeah. finishing third last year, basically second in any other league, going to the playoffs and winning games consecutively. We can list the accomplishments all we want. That's why the expectations are so high. I don't think that line matters as much as people are saying. It's definitely the headline, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the it's the interest behind the statement that he's trying to get across. I completely agree with you. And I think maybe he's sending a message to management. Maybe, I don't know. But I think more than anything, it's reminding whoever out there in the Nashville SC ethos that this team has faced some extreme challenges this year that some could be accused of underestimating, uh, especially in line with high expectations. You know, the early road trip, which they did pretty well on, record-setting pace, the long travel west and weeks like mm -hmm. this one coming up. Um, the adjustment to a new home pitch, which feels like a first world problem because it's a beautiful home pitch, but does take some time. And I think those factors matter. And I, I, you know, we could sit here and still be critical of moments and there are some to criticize against Vancouver, mm -hmm. 
But I think it does add up to, to more adversity than many teams are facing. And so that's what he's trying to get across. I would not, if I'm listening, pay as much attention to the biggest achievement line. Call it yeah. hyperbole if you want. The context behind it is this club's been through a lot more than I think even its own fans will sometimes acknowledge. That's not us excusing it, but it is, again, providing yeah. that context and trying to explain where he's coming from on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I have, I'm on the record on this pod in the past of, of being somebody who values honesty from, from a coach in a press conference or a player in a, com- a press conference over the, over the coach speak, uh, quote, unquote, uh, sort of answer. And this, this, I almost rolled my eyes. It kind of felt like coach speak, but coach speak at the service of whom? Um, so it's something that you're, you're not going to hear from Gary Smith a whole lot, but you and I have been fairly uh, willing to defend this club for some of these challenges that they face. But a lot of the struggles have been since those challenges went away, other than adjusting to a new home pitch. So there's got to be a little a little more than that. I think, um, you know, Gary Smith will tell you that he's that he's probably not proud of, of feeling like he had to say that he's probably he probably doesn't regret saying it, but he doesn't feel proud of feeling like he had to say it. But it's something that regardless of what the the excuses or the explanations are at this point it, it still does have to get better it does and i think he acknowledges that first and foremost mm-hmm. and, and this team does especially after another draw that that feels like a loss um and speaking of those let's look at portland they, they were another team that came to jodas park nashville played brilliantly for the first 55 minutes of that match went ahead 2-0 and it looked like it was going to be a party a three-point party and then Portland did what Portland can do. They're resilient. They countered a couple times. One was a penalty, then the equalizer, uh, and Nashville dropped points uh, after conceding twice in that five- to six-minute span. Uh, Portland has been strong since then, by the way. They're unbeaten mm-hmm. in eight matches, and a result against NSC would give them their longest unbeaten stretch since 2018, which was, by the way, 15 unbeaten. That's absurd. Um they gave up four goals to Minnesota, though, this past weekend. One of two 4-4 draws in a very MLS weekend. Uh, scored three times in the second half of that match. And, and here's the stat that I think might give Nashville fans some cold chills. 75% of Portland's goals this season come in the second half. For Nashville, 22 of the 29 goals they've conceded this year have come in the second half. So those two uh, match up for... Um, a, a tough, a tough matchup for Nashville SC. I think, you know, not that we're sitting here thinking Nashville will probably have a two 0 lead at halftime in Portland. I think this is one where even with this recent events in play, a, a point feels pretty good coming back from Portland on a short week. Um, but the second half is going to be one to watch, uh, when Nashville has been a little softer there and Portland has been very strong in the waning moments. Yeah, this was one of the very few games I can recall this year where multiple players, um, one on either side, got a significant proportion of votes for MLS Player of the Week. It was a very interesting one with uh, Luis Amaria and Sebastian Blanco both um, coming in with some pretty good plaudits there. But <laughs> this is this is a team, when you look at that stat that you just said, um, it does seem like they are particularly equipped to hit Nashville, where Nashville is particularly vulnerable but is that the sort of thing that we've seen where Nashville feels like it's got its back against the wall and it kind of stands up to <laughs> yeah. it? I don't know. I I, totally I have been expecting to to put a prediction of Nashville losing in the game preview, but now you have me rethinking it. It's, this is that. They need that chip on their shoulder. They're going to be hearing this all week. I, Dude, that's the most feelings ball thing you've ever yeah, said. That everything is, I tell is. you, all the facts I give you, and you say, that means the opposite's going to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, all the feelings ball <laughs> things this past weekend said Nashville's going to win like five nothing, and yeah, I, and yeah. I and I uh, fell for those as well. So, oh man, all right. Well, I can't wait to read this preview now. ClubCountryUSA.com. We'll see how my influence, the reverse psychology, I guess, uh, <laughs> panned out. 
Um, yeah, and I want to give a quick shout out to Nate from Oregon. Uh, he was going to ask a mailbag question since obviously you can guess by his by his username there that he's a uh, Timbers fan. But uh, some unfortunate news for the Timbers on on the Athletic today with Gavin Wilkinson kind of lashing out at some of his players about the Andy Polo situation. So that's something that we don't really. Uh, we don't really care to touch very much, but it's definitely something that's going to affect their psyche. And it, it, it affected people's desire to ask us a mailbag question about it as well. So shout out to Nate anyway. Uh, so there's my content recommendation. Aside unseen, go to The Athletic and check that out. That's been a messy, messy, mm-hmm. uh, awful situation for many reasons more important than soccer. Um, rough segue. Two bits of podcast business. ML Rose in a minute. Also, we've got two tickets to give away to uh, this weekend's Toronto match. If you want to see a couple of Italian champions at work, you've already seen one in Chiellini. Um, Bob Radley in Toronto coming to town. is going to be there. Bernadeschi's going to be there. And we got two tickets. Here's how you win them. Uh, rate and review our podcast. Screenshot your review, because they don't always pop up right away on Apple Podcasts. They take a second. Um, and then tweet at us, at ML Rose, um, at Club Country USA, at 440 Sports, and tag a friend. So again, screenshot a review that you're typing. Go ahead and submit that review. Uh, and then post that screenshot on Twitter. Tag those folks, 440 Rose, which is underscore MLRose, um, and Club Country USA. And uh, you'll be entered to win a couple of tickets to Toronto. And again, tag a friend because if you're listening to this, you might already have tickets to the match. And uh, we want you to share this soccer thing with, with somebody else. So two tickets to give away. We look forward to, to seeing your tweets. I'm not, I'm not going to sing, but extremely Eddie Money Voice. We've got two tickets to Geodice. Yes, I like that. <laughs> Two tickets to Geodas Park. Oh. <laughs> oh, with the syllables, I know Geodice is a better uh, representation of paradise there. It's very strong. I like that. Uh, speaking of paradise, speaking of paradise. <laughs> now that's Rose. a better segue. ML Rose, that's a very good segue. Put me on two wheels. I'm riding a segue today. Uh, so I went to another ML Rose location. We're still going to talk up the 8th Avenue one for the most part here because that's the one that is, is directly linked to the club's uh, presence, you know, down the street, 14 minutes and 40 seconds away by foot. <laughs> but I went to uh, Mount Juliet, actually. met a buddy out that way uh, who lives there. I try to come to him because he's always asked to drive into Nashville because he lives in, you know, pretty much Knoxville over there in, in Mount Juliet. <laughs> but they've got an ML Rose there, and it was wonderful. It was up to the same standard as, as all the other locations. I'd never been to that one over the Providence area. And as we're leaving, we hear... The, the hostess say, yeah, it's going to be 45 minutes for a table. Man, that place is doing some business out there. People love it out in Mount Juliet. All those restaurants around, there's there's a good per capita restaurant ratio. Uh, nonetheless, the service was fantastic. Uh, it was it was just as good as the service that, that we had uh, after the match. So two ML Rose days in as many days. And I got the, the fried chicken sandwich because I knew I'd be going consecutive days so I could branch out. Excellent. Absolutely wonderful fried chicken sandwich. And the beer list had rotated a little bit. I found some stuff I hadn't seen there before. So uh, good good week for me and ML Rose, Tim. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know, you mentioned the the chicken sandwich, and I do want to give a shout out to to Logan and Kate, who we have previously mentioned already. But uh, we have we've brought up on the past in the past that uh, ML Rose has some vegetarian options, and mm-hmm. so shout out to them. They got a couple of them, and uh, they looked delicious. I did not eat any food <laughs> after the game, but uh, I, I was well fed by Nashville SC. But I did have a couple beers and and enjoyed my time not just downing a couple beers, but also hanging out with the good people. Not only the ones that we knew were going to be there, but the ones that we ran into because it is becoming such a hub for Nashville SC fans. 
It was wonderful. Yeah, great conversation with with Logan and Kate, who were kind enough to say, "Hey, I know it's packed here. We got a table for four. There are just two of us coming out." And so, uh, it worked out really well. I ate the Carolina sweets and forgot the whole vegetarian thing. It was just much down on my pork right in front of them. But they were, of course, very respectful and cool, and um, had a great time. I was also very well fed by Nashville SC. Um, and it didn't matter. I still got the food at Emil Rose too. It was, it was, I was so wonderful. full. I, it looked, your food, all of your food looked good, but I was like, I'm so full after the game. <laughs> I mean, just a little beer to top it all off was all, all you needed there. That's that's fair too. That's fair too. Uh, onto the mailbag. Great questions from you guys as always. Uh, Jay Robinson says, it feels like there's a lot of conversations about Gary's subs and tactics after uh, the changes. Uh, I know there are a lot of variables with player availability or game state, but how many points has Nashville won or lost after subs are made? It's a great question, Jay. So let's give you some statistical context, and then we'll we'll take it to Tim for, for the opinion piece. So uh, interesting stat here. According to Football Reference, Nashville SC's subs play the fewest average minutes per appearance of any club's subs in MLS. On average... A, club, a sub plays 16 minutes. So on average, they're coming in around minute 74. The league median is 21 minutes. The range is anywhere from an average of 25 or 26 down to Nashville at 16. So there is some some variance there, but Nashville is, is definitely putting in those subs just a little bit later. And so, Tim, I guess I'll ask you there which factor is more to blame for that stat. Is it the, lo- the, the lack of squad depth that that you mentioned earlier, that's the reason that Nashville has the fewest minutes per appearance of any sub uh, in MLS. Uh, or is is it a conservative subbing approach from Gary? Do you think maybe he has the pieces he could employ at a different time and he just chooses instead to to wait? Or in this case, even there's the opposite complaint could be fair as well, right? Taking out Teal Bunbury at 60 yeah. um, and, and putting in Jack Mayer there. So there, I mean, the conservative approach was not making the move late. It was putting in a center back for, for an attacker with a view toward Wednesday. Yeah, I think this year depth can definitely be an explanation for a lot of it. We also have multiple previous years of evidence on Gary Smith. And I think we can say that he is, is going to be one of the more conservative in terms of leaving his starters in longer um, substitution guys throughout USL, throughout major league soccer, the past two years, he has a, he has a history of, of riding with his starting 11 and some of that is is because he just trusts those guys. He puts those guys in those positions for a reason in a given game. But this year, I think a lot of the reason that he's putting those guys in the given game is because those are his options. And we saw that, especially Saturday night, no Dan Lovitz, no Alex Muel. I think he would have loved to put in Lovitz um, as a left center back rather than kind of messing around with kind of the, the overall scheme a little bit as much as he had to there. Mm-hmm. But it is a situation where it, it can be both. And I think um, in the micro Absolutely, squad depth has been an issue in terms of how Lady makes subs uh, in the macro over the course of this year, over the course of the previous four years. I think you can say he is going to be a guy who, who stays with his starting 11 as long as he feels comfortable. Yeah. Uh, now on to when those fatal goals are happening, because the question was, how does Nashville perform after the substitutions are made? So Nashville has experienced a second half change in game state on the negative side of the equation. Nine times this season. That is a lead becoming a draw or a draw becoming a loss. On average, that game-changing goal is scored in the 73rd minute. Um, That's factoring in every goal that has gone against Nashville that ended up resulting in a result that was more negative than it would have been. At 16 minutes played per sub then, going back to that status I did a minute ago, the average reserve is coming off the bench in the 74th. 
the game-changing goal is happening in the 73rd. We're asking the math to do a whole <laughs> lot of work for us here, of course, but but just to, to answer the question as best we can without looking at every sub that's been made and every goal mm-hmm. that's been scored, it does appear that at least the trajectory of that would, would say when these players are starting to get worn down, that's when these goals are, are starting to happen. Tim, do you come to a different conclusion there? I know it's a broad, broad takeaway to assign, but again, that's that's as much as the numbers are telling us. Yeah, there's there's kind of like a big data issue there, which is like, yes, the averages probably ultimately mean that some of those have have changed games. In fact, they mean they inherently mean that at least one has probably changed the game. Um, and of course, we saw that we saw that um, on on Saturday night that the the the, um, the goal came after a handful of subs. I think Nashville did an 89th minute sub still, if I recall correctly, too. Mm. So they were um, kind of pushing at the very end there. But there is a situation where you look at it and say. Are they related? Are they unrelated? Goals are going to happen in the second half. Subs are almost never going to happen in the first half. So there's going to be a bit of a, a situation where, you know, the numbers look like they're telling us something, but don't necessarily do it. It's a little like Malcolm Gladwell thing where he would try to <laughs> pretend like these two things are, are mm-hmm. uh, you know, causal to each other. But either way, it is a situation where you look at Nashville seeming to run out of steam in second halves. And I think there's something to be said for, if you have the bodies to to stay fresh and, and keep quality on the field, maybe you want to make those switches a little bit earlier and then you don't have to have some of these issues um, where, where a tired leg causes a goal. At the same time, if you look at some of the guys that, that could be subbed on, um, you know, for example, an example that we've beaten to death a little bit. If you put on Ake Loba in the 60th minute, and I know he was unavailable on Saturday night and is going to be unavailable on Wednesday as well. But that's a guy who could go out and get you a goal, but he's also a guy who's more likely to cost you a goal. So mm-hmm. there is a situation when you when you look at the individuals who are available and and the difference that you see, you know, it, it could go either way. You know, if if you put Eric Miller on the field over Shaq Moore, I think you you're not feeling quite as good about your attack, but I don't think you're as worried defensively. I think Eric Miller is sound enough defensively and just you know, is he going to be dinged because because of a late goal scored by Vancouver? Maybe, but I don't necessarily think on that, you know, you look at the cause and effect there and say one is definitely causing the other. Fair enough. Best we could do to try to answer that question with some data, but understand that that data is going to be imperfect and, um, and, and a little bit incomplete. Uh, props to CJ Bush for one more stat, by the way. In six draws for Nashville, uh, Nashville's a lot of tying goal after the 69th minute mark in five of those matches. Um, uh, he had he said 70th. We're quibbling a little bit there because one of Portland's I think was in the 69th, but whatever. Uh, our friend Logan Elliott, our our, our new ML Rose buddy, uh, old old buddy, but you know freshly of ML Rose now, uh, says assuming Gary has adjusted his expectations, if his comment can be taken at face value about finishing above the line being the biggest accomplishment, should fans adjust their expectations? He says we're only three points away from being tied for third place on points, but ninth place only three points away, and I'll add. You got LA Galaxy and the Seattle Sounders lurking right behind you as well, along with Portland. So good teams lurking right behind Nashville. Should supporters start to adjust their expectations to being happy to make the playoffs or is top four something they should still be clamoring for? I think the expectations of finishing top four are are fair. I think any any finish outside of the playoffs is, is not acceptable to this club. It's not acceptable to the players. It's not acceptable acceptable to the technical staff nobody expects this team to finish outside of the playoffs unless you take uh, one gary smith quote <laughs> at face value um but it is a situation where 
because the table's so tight, and we've mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, obviously my tone on it has changed a little bit with a draw against a, a very bad Vancouver team, but all is not lost because this team is, is where they are on the table because they drop points because it happens to everybody. And we look at one specific team and say, Oh, this is bad when it happens in Nashville and Nashville is clearly the only team that it happens to, which is not the case. The problem is you need it to not happen no matter what. And it's happened already more times than it's probably expected for Nashville. So I don't think the expectations need to be adjusted that much. I think maybe a, a, a lens through which we're seeing how Nashville is or is not meeting those expectations is something that can be lost at times because it does hurt to drop points to a team like Vancouver. Uh, it doesn't take away the fact that that still hurts, but it's also not dooming to a season necessarily, um, you know, as they start to add up, as the Sporting Kansas City type results happen as well, they eventually doom, but no individual result does that. And if we pretend we're in the courtroom, we have to start the you know the process by establishing mutual definitions of terms here. There's there's expectation and there's hope, and I think I've mentioned this before. Top four is still a fair hope. Top seven should always be the expectation mm-hmm. at minimum for this team, and I think it's a realistic one if you look at the numbers. We'll crunch the numbers again here. So put a target at the end of the season. How many points do you need to end up in that top four over the past three seasons, not including 2020? So 18, 19, and 21, you need an average of 53 points to finish in the top four. So that means Nashville would need, just to reach that that number, 21 points in its final um, 11 matches. And it only leaves home for four of those. So we'll count, just for fun, for those four road matches, LAFC, Austin, Portland. Let's count them as losses. Let's give mm-hmm. a skeptical projection. Let's count Vancouver as a draw. I think this team has the quality to do that on the road at least. They love to draw Vancouver. It's their yep. favorite. So. But that takes you down, I know, right? That takes you down to 20 points that you have to get in your seven home matches. So perfection, literally perfection. You can't get 20 points. The math doesn't let you. It only, it only It's 21 or it's... Or it's uh, less yeah. than that. Eight, eight, point, eight point window talk going on here, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so unless Nashville steals points elsewhere, top four at the av- usual average points total is going to require basically a perfect home record or absolutely a home record unless it can get more on the road than we've just projected. The more realistic number then is somewhere around 48 points. That's the average, uh, generally speaking, on the upper end of, of the playoff line. To, to get to that seven spot, between 45 and 48 points. Again, Nashville at 32 now. So that even that requires getting something done away from home, uh, plus improving at home to get that 16-point total in those final 11 matches that is still uh, a little bit better point total per game than what Nashville's earned so far this year. So top four, I think at this point, is a hope. I think it going into this year was probably an expectation for most. Top seven should still be the expectation, should be the standard. But I think you know it, it starts to paint a little clearer picture of why Gary Smith is trying to prepare folks that this is not something to be taken for granted in a league mm-hmm. with a lot of parity, with still some very tough road games to go. LAFC best team in the league, Austin second place in the e- in the West, Portland the fourth best team over the last six in the Western Conference. This is something that should be expected. It should not, I think, Logan, be something that is taken for granted anymore. And one thing that I, I do want to point out is you kind of alluded to it a second ago is is Nashville can also kind of set the the playoff line to a certain extent because they're playing so many of the teams right around that playoff line coming mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Um, Seattle looks like the only one. Seattle and Real Salt Lake are the only ones that they don't have at least one game against yep. who are in any sort of playoff position. So there's a real chance to say, okay, maybe we don't get to 48 points, but we're going to make that playoff line like, you know, 44 because we're going to beat these teams and, and kind of set it at that level. The power's there at home too. Mm-hmm. Dallas, Minnesota, 
LA Galaxy all have to come to Nashville still. Um, Austin. Uh, not that, that Austin's going to be easy to catch. So, yes, it, it is still very possible, and that's, that's a great dose of, of optimistic realism in there as well. Thanks for tolerating our number crunching. You can put away the abacus now. Uh, Harold <laughs> Andres, barely hanging on to the playoffs. Will anything change in the formations? Will there be more signings? Are we getting a striker that scares defenses? Or are we just leaving it to Hani to do it all? I don't get it. If we can't hold the lead, why not go for more goals at home? It doesn't sound like there's going to be a transformational signing or maybe another signing at all to answer that question, unless you t- uh, disagree on that one, Tim. But in terms of the other stuff, you know, tactical change, do you, do you think, that could potentially spur this team or is it feeling their way into that four man that they've switched to and relying on only minor tweaks to maybe carry them depending on the opponent. That was, I was going to kind of take issue with the the question itself because Nashville has changed formations. Um, It has, I guess, gone poorly. It's weird because in the Portland game, they switched to the four and it went poorly. And then on Saturday they switched from the four to the five at the 60th minute and it went poorly. So there isn't really a, a silver bullet answer tactically. A, a lot of it comes down to just play better. Um, because this team has had moments of brilliance in both formations, I don't think that that's really the the issue there. I think a big part of it is just um, guys getting healthy would be so important. I know we talk about it so much, and it sounds like we're making excuses for this team, but they've had Anibal Godoy so infrequently. Uh, they had they were missing Randall Leal for so long. You know, These guys who have been missing have been guys that would be game changers. They would be... Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't want to pin a certain number of points on a single guy, but at least at least a couple from Leal's absence, at least a couple wins probably from Godoy's absence. So that's tough. Mm-hmm. The problem is we still don't know when Godoy's going to be back. It's It's been three to five days for three to five weeks at this point. So so we'll see exactly when he comes back. I think he can really help, but I don't think um, a transformational signing in, in the traditional sense of a new guy coming in who has signed to a new contract for Nashville SC is coming. And I don't think that the the tactical philosophy is, not, is just not going to be a huge change at any point mm-hmm. going forward. And when you find yourself making, you know, I'll say it, the, the excuse of being without one guy, you can you can say you got to move beyond that. Any team in MLS is going to be without one guy from time to time. When it's a guy as pivotal as Leal or when it's three guys in this most recent case, four if you count Loba, uh, love it some wheel out for yellow Should card suspension. I mean, <laughs> we don't have to. We don't have to count Loba. The point still stands without Andre yeah. Loba there. Uh, he was an afterthought there. Uh, speaking of impact, though, and speaking of that tactical change of the four man, let's talk about Shaq Moore. I, I'm a little surprised that it took us this long to get to him, but Jay Robinson cues us here. What was the best thing that Shaq brought to the team uh, in his debut? Did we learn anything in the 60 minutes he was on the field? Uh, I'll tell you what he brought to the team. Uh, statistically led the team in final third entries. He won possession more than any other player. Uh, some of that's just based on the job description of a fullback and what you're going to do in those situations, especially the the crossing piece of it there with the final third entries. Uh, nonetheless, he was busy, and as a result, 42% of Nashville's attack came down that right third of the field, so disproportionately weighted toward that right side. And I think, Tim, what we saw from Shaq Moore is what I think we should expect to see from Shaq Moore. Is he going to make transformational plays from time to time? You hope so. But more than that, he's like, what's the BASF commercial? We don't make a lot of the products you buy. We make a lot of the products you buy better. It's the old 90s jingle. Mm-hmm. That's him, right? With like a dude on a snurfer. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it's a great commercial. Um, I think he's going to make everybody on the field better at his best. And I think in his 60 minutes, 
he did that for to, to a large extent. I I thought he was he was very stable, especially in his first match with this club. Yeah, and I think what you look at is not necessarily what did Shaq Moore bring to the game necessarily. It's what did Shaq Moore bring to the game that was unavailable otherwise. And a lot of that was mm. his defensive bite that you mentioned. He was, and you know, you say that's the job of a fullback is to is to win back possession and stuff like that. But there's four fullbacks on the field, and he was the one who did the most of it. Yep. And what you look at what um, in terms of what Nashville wasn't getting elsewhere, his service in from the cross was pretty good. I think it's something that is pretty chemistry oriented. Yes, crossing is is a, a lo- inherently low percentage um, method of building offense, but the way you uh, kind of beat those percentages is by having somebody as talented as he is and knowing where his strikers or where his onrushing midfielders are going to be. And so he knows where to put the ball with that cross. Mm-hmm. That's something that I think even maybe the first game is enough to really give him that kind of feel for the types of runs that Nashville SC players are going to make. And I think yeah. not necessarily this past Saturday night, but going forward, that is where he's going to make the biggest difference. You can find guys who are pretty good defenders um, that aren't good in the attack. What makes Shaq kind of a game changer for this team is that he's able to provide on both ends because he has all of the defensive ability, but the athleticism to get up and back and that right foot can cross like, I don't think Nashville has seen anybody that has that ability yet. So we're we're both commenting on things here that we saw that I think we probably knew he was going to bring to the table coming Mm -hmm. in. Was there anything that you saw that surprised you or was it just validating to say, okay, yeah, this is who Nashville hoped they would get and here he is, which we know hasn't always been the case with some of these midseason moves. I think a big part of it was that um, he was able to combine in passing in ways that I thought were a little bit ahead of his time in terms of how little time mm-hmm. he's been here. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that, including including the play that ultimately led to Teal's goal. He He's, you know, dropping in. He's he's playing in a different position. And Hani is making the cross that, that you would expect Shaq Moore to be making, frankly. Um, but Shaq is able to kind of make the rotations that, usually you expect guys to need a little bit more time in the system, a little more time getting to know their teammates to be comfortable making that rotation. Yeah. So that's the sort of stuff that I think there's a lot of upside with. And then of course, you know, as he gets even more comfortable with that, maybe he doesn't need to do that as much. Maybe he is kind of um, able to to say, Hey, if I'm crossing the ball, Hani Mukhtar is going to be there to finish it as well. So there's mm-hmm. a little bit more of an ability to kind of, um, you know, seize that job and say, this is my space on the field. We don't mm-hmm. need you to kind of be in that space because I'm going to own it and you can be doing what you do best, which is score goals. And yet still had enough of, of uh, confidence and intelligence to see mm-hmm. the moments where he could invert a little bit, where he could overlap a little bit. And we I mean, took a couple of shots from distance and I'm thinking to myself, look, you scored three goals your whole time in Spain, I believe it was. If you can develop even some sort of threat from distance here, that adds a lot to this team as well because it, it forces people to step up to you and then... You can play, you know, some not overlaps because you're already overlapping, but you can play it back and have a little more (laughs) positional versatility there. Gary's been really high, too, publicly on his intelligence, which is something that you can try to surmise from a way a guy plays or from the behind the scenes scouting stuff. But you really only know once he gets in the door. And it it seems pretty clear that Shaq is a very heady player in addition to, to being physically gifted as we knew he was. Uh, Eric East, have we shot ourselves in the foot by building a team that really only fits Gary's strategy? Say we move to a new manager, which will most likely cause a lengthy rebuild to fit their own identity unless we hire a Gary Jr. I, maybe you'll do the same, but I'll take issue with the premise of the question here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'll let you take issue with the premise of the question first, I suppose. Maybe. Thank you, Wes. That's very gracious of you. you. <laughs> um, I mean, 
what what is the what is the implication here that it's a, a defense first team that relies on the individual brilliance of Hani Mukhtar to make things happen? Which is which is the way this team plays right now, that is that is fair. But to say that this personnel grouping is is limited to that, I think is unfair. Look at Alex Mwil, um, Dax McCarty, and, and Sean Davis, obviously, all coming from the Red Bull system, which is I won't say quite the opposite because it's also not a possession-oriented system, but in terms of defensively, the style is, is completely night and day from what you expect from Nashville, maybe being a little bit more conservative, whereas Red Bulls want to get out. They want to win the ball high up the pitch. They want to create instant offense. Those guys have all done that. Those guys, um, you know, two of them came up in that system and have only ever played for Red Bulls before they played for Nashville SC, and they were very successful with that club. Dax obviously has played for... Uh, I, I think 27 MLS teams now. So sorry, Dax, just, <laughs> just a little, a little humor for you there, but, lot. but he, 33, he's, actually, yeah, he, he's shown that. he can do it. He's shown he can do it in, mm-hmm. in any system. Um, Anibal Godoy in, in San Jose earthquake system. Um, unfortunately, Anibal Godoy this year, not so much in any system because he's been hurt um, with, since he went with Panama. But I think you look at the players that are available and they could play in a different system. They're very happy to, to play in Gary's system. But if you took a coach with a completely different philosophy, say if you took um, Jim Curtin, who's, who's kind of that Red Bull style, I think you could snap your fingers and this team would be, you know, playing that style of ball. Yeah. I don't want to say that they would necessarily be a more successful team. I don't think that's important to the point. The point is what styles can they play? I think they could do it now. Could they play like LAFC? No, but there's, there is only one Carlos fella in this league. There are only so many guys that have that, that skill set. And certainly Gary Smith is not trying to play that way. So he doesn't need those players, but there really only are a couple teams that successfully pull it off. And that's not, a negative about Nashville SC, it's more positive about those teams. To put a fine point on what you just said, too, I think it's always good to build around MLS veterans who are savvy enough to be a little versatile and uh, and adjust to a system. And Nashville's got those in spades, which is part of why it's been so successful. Also, the other part of the premise of the question I want to make sure I'm guarding against is the end of Gary Smith's tenure being anytime soon. I still think that is... Uh, a, a relatively implausible thing to surmise. Um, I mean, he's on the verge of the greatest accomplishment in club history. Right? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, creating reality. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think that's that's another piece that we. It's fine. It's always fun to theorize around rosters and coaches. That's that's fine. We we love mm-hmm. to imagine situations. Um, we love hypotheticals and small sample sizes. Um, but unlike the Sean Davis hypothetical that came true, the, the Gary Smith departure hypothetical is still a very long way away unless mm-hmm. things go drastically uh, away. We do not expect Charlie Pate with, uh, the good one here. You want one of them to watch the replay of the Vancouver goal. Is he correct that a call was missed on Walker Zimmerman in the waiting moments there? He says it looked like the guy pushed him aside to free the shot on goal. If not pushed, he heads that out. Spilled milk at this point. Just curious. There there was a little bit of contact on Walker in the box. I, I really didn't think it was enough mm-hmm. to justify a, a penalty. We chatted about this after the match too, Tim, yeah. and you tended to agree. And, and then maybe if Walker sells it, he has a chance to get the call. Maybe, probably not, but he also yeah. kept playing through it and, and um, was honest in that moment. There just wasn't enough there. Yeah. I mean, uh, we like to be above officiating uh, controversies and I, I will admit that there have been a couple times that we've gone deep into those waters for sure, but this is not one of them. I don't think, I think if, if the call is made, I there's probably not a big complaint about that, but that it's not made is not, 
it, there's not enough there to say this was absolutely the wrong call. Yeah, I don't think that was a that was a decider for sure. Uh, a couple more NSC fan, any rumblings of more signings? Uh, Godoy timeline. Godoy's getting closer. Maybe it's kind of like the scene in Monty Python where the enemy keeps feeling like they're running closer and closer and it's the same shot over and over again. But then all of a sudden they're on top of you. Uh, so I think Godoy really is getting closer to working his way back in. But uh, again, seems like it's pretty uncertain at this point. Tim, in terms of the transfer market, the window's about to close. Is there anything else that, that you're hearing? I've, I'm coming up empty on my end. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we have talked about it a couple of times already. If If there had been... Uh, a big a big signing on the way we would have heard rumblings about it for sure and like i said earlier i think gary smith's uh you know greatest accomplishment quote was was maybe kind of lamenting that there isn't something bigger on the way at least unless something comes up in the last couple of days there weren't rumblings about Shaq moore <laughs> i wasn't telling people in, in february that he was coming it was just a matter of time <laughs> Uh, and then finally, a, a rant from Austin Beaver. He says, am I stupid to project that this methodology will continue over the course of the season and say that even if we make the playoffs, that this type of coaching cannot make a run with the personnel we currently have? Sincerely, the most mad I've ever been as a fan from the beginning. Love you guys. Amen. I'm glad that you love us, Austin. I understand the anger. I do think the very things that make this team so frustrating at times can also make them a damn good team in the playoffs. Yeah. And that's the yeah. that's the maddening thing about him. You think about if if Philadelphia goes differently last year in penalties, very differently in penalties, uh, nonetheless, it got to penalties and Nashville's all of a sudden in a, in a conference final. I, I understand the frustration. I'm going to remain extremely optimistic that there are more good things about this uh, coaching staff than there are negative and one of the good things is it's a it's a group that knows how to coach veterans, man manage itself into good positions, and delight the fans more than the fans are disappointed. Mm-hmm. Recently, that trend's been the other way around, so I get it. I get any of the frustration, but I, I do think that this coaching staff has a higher ceiling uh, than um, than many probably feel right now. And it's got such a high floor that's going to set this club apart from, from most in MLS where it would be a shock in any given year if this club were to miss the playoff short of just major injury calamity. Yeah, when I look at, at the style, because he's, he's asking specifically about this kind of defensive-minded sure. sort of thing. Yeah. When you, when you listen to like Extra Time Radio, or I guess it's just called Extra Time now, when you listen to Extra Time episodes from, from the beginning of the year, from the beginning of MLS teams' entry into the U.S. Open Cup, for example... Those guys are saying, and especially shout out to our guy, David Goss, who does a great job with them. But those guys are saying, hey, the style that Nashville plays, that is tournament ball. If this team gets into the MLS playoffs, that's they can turn any game into a coin flip. Now, that can also be a negative if you're you're playing against a bad team. And unfortunately, we've seen a little bit too much of that late in the regular season. But if, if you go up against LAFC, Nashville SC is probably one of the teams that has the best chance to beat them because they can turn any game into a coin flip. And that's what you get out of that system. It's not necessarily the most aesthetically pleasing ball, but it is something that that you can hang your hat on in a single elimination knockout uh, kind of tournament. And then the one last last point I want to bring is I, I understand people are very frustrated with the Vancouver result. And I think it'd be fair to say that that that's just absolutely the feeling people should have. But this kind of is is almost tangential to this question. I just forgot to bring it up earlier, and I don't remember which question I was going to bring it up for. <laughs> but um, when you look at the the expected goals on Saturday night, and yes, it does not mean you get to go back and say Nashville wins the game. If they still lose the game, but projecting it forward, over two expected goals for Nashville, 1.3 for, for Vancouver. This is a situation where 
the, the end result feels bad, but Nashville was the stronger team. And yes, they had gone down, you know, at the point that Vancouver scored, Nashville finally dropped below Vancouver in terms of expected goals, but they had some really good chances at the end of the game. I think a lot of people are obviously going to remember Hani's left-footed miss right at the buzzer. But there were there were other chances too that Nashville really, if they had done a little bit better, and I'm not, you know, because I'm an expected goal zealot, I'm not gonna say, oh, should have scored there or whatever. But if they had gotten a goal out of one of those, any any one opportunity at any point earlier in the game, the narrative would be completely different. Vancouver probably folds. It ends up being a two or three nothing game and and we're feeling very differently. The problem is it didn't happen. That doesn't mean that it wouldn't happen in, in the future because Hani Mukhtar does not have a career long um, reputation or, or statistical <laughs> statistical output that implies he's going to underachieve his XG. Mm-hmm. Um, CJ Sapong is not the sort of guy who who stays quiet for as long as he has, frankly, right. uh, in this kind of ignominious stretch here. I do think that the pieces are there to say, as bad as it feels right now, it might not need to feel that bad going mm-hmm. forward. Maybe this team is a little bit better than they have played. The question is, as we brought up last week too, have they given themselves absolutely no margin for error at this point? And that's what I think the worry should be about. Sure, yeah, XG is is as you've mentioned, way more predictive than actual goals scored. And to that end, Nashville is one of the most underachieving teams in XG this year, which would suggest a return to that to that mean, a progression to the mean, if you will. One of my goals on this show, one of our goals on this show, speaking for you, is to not let one touch in one second of one match totally influence our tone for the whole next episode uh, of a show. You know, maybe we didn't always succeed at that. Maybe today wasn't our best example of that. It still matters because this is a game of individual moments, but I think setting the stage for that reality of, and that's why it's optimistic realism, right? Like mm-hmm. we'll be pessimistic if the, if the data calls for that too. But right now I think, you know, it's, it's an optimist chart right now. If you look at the stat patterns and where Nashville should be headed, but they got to go get it done. And they haven't here lately um, with, uh, with one win in their last six. And so uh, heading, heading to Portland Wednesday and then Toronto comes to town on Saturday. Remember two tickets up for grabs. Just uh, hop on Apple Podcasts, give us as short a rating as you want, or as long, that's fine. We've gotten some great ones here lately. Um, somebody even said they've been listening since the beginning, so it's not even a small sample size anymore, and they can say <laughs> we're consistently excellent. Like, yeah, that's great. I appreciate that. Uh, two tickets are yours uh, if you are selected among those who do that. So screenshot your review. Tag or for your Rose. friend that you tag. Or, that's, or, you or tag a friend. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they can be involved as well, so that somebody maybe who's not already got tickets can uh, can get involved and enjoy as well. Just tag Club Country USA, ML Rose, 440 Sports, friend, some combination thereof. We won't be too, too big sticklers on that, but uh, we, we certainly hope that, that you do that. And so that actually is going to just be my cop-out content recommendation is to visit <laughs> Apple Podcasts and do that. Because I've, I've actually read a lot of really good stuff this week. There's some good stuff about the England women's Euro win uh, mm-hmm. that's that's excellent. That's going to send reverberations throughout the European continent and beyond in the women's game, which is fantastic. Except maybe for the U.S.'s chances of winning the next eight World Cups. Uh, but that's okay. <laughs> a rising tide, right? Uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but nothing specific to it to recommend. Anything involving that is, is good. Just go to Apple Podcast. That will be my recommendation. Yeah, for me, it's uh, I, I alluded to this earlier. It's the uh, it's the piece on the Portland Timbers on the Athletic. Um, it's not going to be a soccer preview piece <laughs> to just to, to let you know ahead of time. It's about um, you know kind of what what uh, 
the struggle is for a, a team that has significant off-field issues. And um, obviously Portland Timbers and Thorns fans are not necessarily huge fans of GM uh, Gavin Wilkinson. He got essentially fired as the Thorns GM after uh, some some uh, pretty serious allegations that, that he was kind of brushing stuff aside that he shouldn't. But um, we've recommended stuff on The Athletic a hundred times, but it, it's the sort of place that is the only one doing the sort of journalism that they mm-hmm. are able to do, that they get the that they get the budget, that they get the editorial approval to do. And so when they ha- write something as fantastic as this, uh, we're going to recommend it. So check that out. Our, uh, our friend Jeff Reuter with the, uh, the article there, uh, and uh, I've opened it now, and that's my plan. As I edit the podcast, I'll be thumbing through this as well. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Always great to commune with you, especially those of you who joined us in person at ML Rose. Thank you for that. Thanks to ML Rose for the sponsorship. Moon Taxi for the music, uh, bookending the show. Again, whether or not you enter our contest, get on, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, but you, you know, might as well enter. You might as well do it, right? Just a quick little screenshot and tag us, and we're good. Tell a friend about us too. Maybe the friend that you tagged to win those tickets. Give us a follow on Twitter. He's at Club Country USA. I'm West Bowling TN. And uh, thanks to the 440 Sports Network for having us on. We will uh, talk to you guys again next week. Looking forward to it. We'll be right back.